Los Angeles. It's the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network. Here's Ryan and Clayton. Sound means it's time for another McShank podcast on MPN. Hope you're enjoying your Infinity War week. Uh, we certainly are over here at the network, and uh, we got some more fun and exciting Marvel content to be bringing you. McShank podcast. So uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm Ryan McCarran, and sitting across from me, my good friend, film connoisseur, handsome devil himself. Uh, well, thank you for saying the things about me that I didn't have to say. Well, myself. I was still talking about me. Uh, you, you are. <laughs> the people at home can't see the the finger was pointed at me, especially mm-hmm. on the emphasis of good looking. <laughs> so, who are you, good looking man? Uh, I'm Ryan. My name's Clayton, and you should know goddamn well who I am, Ryan. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe <laughs> who knows? We're the old who... podcast married couple. Yeah, remember? that's we, right. Uh, it's been it's been ten years. I can't believe it. The last time you heard us, we were bringing to you your. Top 10 movies of the year, and here we are a few months later, bringing it back. Um, kind of a, you would say, a, a follow-up commentary on a show we did a few years ago where we really just kind of did a, a state of the union on everything that is Marvel. Yeah. Leading up to, I think it was Age of Ultron that was just about to come out. Right, yeah, I listened to it again. We did recorded that in late February, and Ultron was coming out in like may of that year so it's been about three or so years almost or over three years since we've discussed it and since then they've made multitude of other films and so well if i remember right we mostly struck more of a pessimistic tone kind of about where the mcu was going like we noted the strengths of the enterprise to date but we weren't too happy on a number of fronts that had kind of consistently marred the experience of most of these films for us yeah there was stakes or poor choice in villains um just uh over reliance on interconnectivity between films yeah um while pointing out the strengths you know the heroes casting has always been great and they definitely know their audience say what you want about marvel but they know how to play to what their audience wants to see and they do it very well yeah and so i think we want to update that a little bit and sort of take a look at what we talked about in that show and from everything from Ultron on really, I guess, what is it? Phase three, I guess that's where we are. I lost. I forgot. Yeah. I don't know. How about before we get into tomorrow, let's let's do something that you mentioned you wanted to do. Let's just talk about what we've seen lately. Okay. Just the completely devoid of any MCU connection. What is, what's been on your radar? We, uh, I saw, well, you and I actually saw uh, You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix. It's getting called a beautiful day for some reason on some forums. Like, really? Like uh, Flickster and Rotten Tomatoes had it listed as a beautiful day. But then the the poster that was right above the name said You Were Never Really Here. So there was hmm. some, some confusion must been, there. Must, must have been an alternate title at some point. Well, because, so we went to, you were kind enough to invite me to a, mm. a, a, an early screening of it. And then I actually saw it again uh, when it came out more wide. So I've seen that one twice. What did it do for you the second time? Um, again, I think seeing a movie the second time in general, I think is just more of a positive experience. I think just because you sort of know, and knowing the twists and turns, I think you could settle into more of the, the visual style of it because you don't have to worry so much about, oh, where's the plot going to go? The title screen alone in that movie oh, is, is worth the price of admission. Yeah. It's one of the, the, the best things I've seen. I think it's just so beautifully restrained and just so interesting and well acted. I mean, it is a simple movie there. There, and there are lots of interesting elements like that sort of harken back to taxi driver or, you know, other hyper violent movies. There's even a political angle in it, which is also like a, a, a taxi driver thing. But Talking about like the the flashbacks kind of the flashbacks element. and also just the fact that the the governor of New York is a main you know right. factor in it. But I mean, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I I really enjoyed that, and and even on a second viewing, I, I didn't mind seeing it again. I think it may end. Yeah, up... usually a good sign something's working for you. Yeah, um, but yeah, I really like the approach, just thematically and visually. They took the violence for the movie because uh, mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of skirts a lot of violence cliches i think we've become accustomed to yeah and that's what it that's what's interesting about it is that it doesn't go the way that you think it's gonna go yeah it's like brutal but a lot of it's implied yeah 
Yeah. And, and so, but, but but there but there is a certain beauty in that mm-hmm. in that in that restrained vision that Lynn Ramsey has. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just there's so much interesting stuff visually going on just throughout the movie, just shot you know camera wise and acting wise, everything. So, yeah, I really like that. Oh, and we saw Rampage, and it wasn't really that good. So, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of you're up to date on that one, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I other than you were never really here, I I signed up for that app, Filmstruck. Uh, and it's pretty awesome for streaming like Criterion Collection kind of movies and classic Hollywood movies. And I've been on this this Michael Hanukkah binge. Ooh. I've just been watching all of his movies from like the start to the present. And so uh, you haven't slept in like four days. <laughs> no, there, there, yeah. there, there's no shortage of of fucked up shit mm-hmm. to be found in a Hanukkah film. Um, I think the highlights for me are his first film called The Seventh Continent. Um, uh, and this other movie, this kind of puzzle like movie that would have made a great uh causality theme one of our film classes oh but but it's actually an enjoyable movie okay good not just from like an academic <laughs> standpoint it's called uh 71 fragments of a chronology of chance mm. and it's about how, how all these separate threads just kind of end up in this one uh very violent situation and like all these characters you think are not connected at all just end up you kind of follow them for a couple hours until they all end up in this one place where the plots converge. And it's kind of a very cool, like puzzle, like, like film. heights, like the movie heights, but so okay. much better. <laughs> that movie was dog was shit. Not good. And my, the grade on the paper I wrote from that movie reflected the fact that it's dog <laughs> shit. <laughs> you too, huh? Okay, great. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Yeah. I think, I yeah. think I got D for dog shit on the, <laughs> on the paper. Um, and one other thing I want to mention is I watched a movie from the eighties that I'd never seen before but I'd always heard of it. Uh, and it's worth mentioning because I couldn't believe what I was watching. It's called Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, wow, really? I'd never seen it before. you never seen it? Never seen it before. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's got so many big stars in no, it. No, it does. But the, what really stood out to me was, this is like post The Fly, Jeff Goldblum, where this movie has to be like the first instance where he's being kind of portrayed as this smoldering sex object. And his entrance into the movie, I was on the ground Mm -hmm. just, like, pumping my fists at how excited this made me. (laughs) Like, he comes out literally in, like, a a Zoolander pose when he finally sheds, like, the alien skin. Yeah. You know? And it's just this penetrating look where he's just, like, do something, you know? Yeah. It's that that look into the camera and the Jim Carrey thing and the the Marlon... Is Marlon Wayans or... Damon, right? I can't forget. Uh, Damon Wayans, Wayans, whatever. Yeah. Um, it just what, what, sorry, what, what what prompted you to watch that? So I was just looking and see. Like I, I got one of the Amazon Fire Sticks, and I was looking to yeah. see what was available on Prime. And oh. I just kept flipping through stuff. And you're like, here and I was we like, are. I was like, Jeff Goldblum, Jim Carrey, Damon Wayans. How have yeah. I not seen this yet? So it was Damon Wayans. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, wow. So, so I, I I flipped it on without even hesitating. And <laughs> oh, didn't read a second of All it. All right. Well. Great. <laughs> so but you didn't think we were going to talk about that movie, let's, did you? <laughs> so let's move from uh, Aliens in the Sky to Aliens in a more serious... I've tried to do a tr- I'll, transition. I'll, I'll allow it. All right, all right, thanks. Barely. Um, so a couple things. You can go back and listen to our 2015 show. Uh, the audio in it is horrible. I'm really sorry about that, but I'm glad we fixed that up. But um, So it has been three and a half years. And I think kind of the big question, at least for us, is... Have they improved on some of the things that we thought they needed to improve on? So you mentioned a few already. Villains, um, the stakes, the movies not standing on their own. I think those are the three kind of main ones that we looked at. Yeah, um, the, the, the needless uh, tie-ins with future movies was kind of maybe the thing that irked me the most. Just because I, I felt like they didn't have enough confidence in the material on a film-by-film yeah. film level. Uh, and yeah. I've learned more along, uh, over the years is that that is a trope in the comics. Like that is a trope that is something where they tie together and they're always meeting up with, they're always trying to merge because they have to sell, they have to sell comic books. So if they can bring in a group of the superheroes to do something and they have to do a cliffhanger and they have to set it up for something else and bigger and bigger and bigger because they have to keep selling books. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's like a way that you should make, you know, and craft your whole gigantic web of films. I do think it doesn't necessarily translate one-to-one when you put it on a screen and give it $200 million. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like comic books by their very nature are very flimsy and very on the nose with it, with all the themes and, 
and it, it makes sense from like a an old serialized kind of perspective that that's how you would do it but I, I one of my long-standing critiques is that it just doesn't work as well when you give it the full hollywood treatment it just something something feels missing but let's let's i think we should start with the villains because i think that was that's a big piece of it because yeah so let's quickly run through so i think we're at 18 total movies by my count okay. uh, leading up to infinity war which is what kind of spurred on this whole show um ever a time to reassess yeah, the mcu some, yeah. it's it's uh in front of the movie that it's been leading to for 10 years so since the age of ultron we've had ant-man civil war doctor strange guardians volume 2 spider-man homecoming and thor ragnarok and black, black panther. panther yeah um so yeah do you want to start off with our critique of villains where do you want to go well i think just as a whole i think i've probably enjoyed this phase this is probably my favorite phase of any of the phases we've had just overall it may surprise you but i think i'm with you yeah yeah i mean i it, for, i think for us it's not a high bar <laughs> to, to to cross mm. but i think that over time they've done a lot better in improving some of these things and so if we start with i mean because the first thing i think we can always look to is how good are these villains especially if you look at their counterparts with dc the DC villains are iconic and almost maybe as iconic, if not more so, than the heroes. There needs to be more heavy lifting done with yeah. Marvel to really. So if you look sell at somebody, these. I think probably their best villain is, and you might agree with me, is Vulture in Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think Killmonger is the best villain. Killmonger, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll get to him. Okay. But this is a guy. He's basically like. They grounded him more in reality, and I think gave he's, him... He's good. I he's like very him. good. And Michael Keaton is, is wonderful in that movie. But he, he's a guy who's, you know, his honest work was being affected by the Avengers. So the, right there, it, it sort of brings in a little bit of what we were talking about with the movies not having stakes. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost as if the Avengers, in a strange way, sort of created, created him. this guy. Yeah. Um, which gives it a real There's a really good tie-in at the end of Avengers mm -hmm. uh, in the... Uh, yeah. The, in the... Um, the prelude to the the film starting where he's like a construction worker and he's cleaning up the wreckage of the battle with Loki and the, all those, um, Chitari. Sure. So <laughs> if I remember that correctly, yeah. I want, I want some piece of, uh, swag or something. Cause that was, that was amazing. Um, yeah, it really grounds the character and, yeah. and gives him some, uh, some real world stakes. Yeah. And it gives him a family to, to care for. And, and, and it makes the reveal later on in the movie even better when you figure out, when you put the pieces together about it. So I think just being able to have a real person do a real thing that had some, that, that he was affected by, um, I think is a really, really big step for them. Mm -hmm. Um, even I think, I think. I, you know, I do love Guardians too. I didn't. I, we we talked about it a little bit off mic, but it didn't make it onto my list, even though I think it's probably the best Marvel movie. Hmm. Um, and it could have been their normal, nondescript, world-destroying villain that they've had in the past, where it's like, oh, this person just wants to take over the world. Well, that, that is what it becomes, though. Yeah, end. but 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 he also, uh, but his relationship with Peter and like how that's able to, that was, to come into play as well. That's what was so frustrating about the movie to me is like, it's, it's so rooted in character interplay and it's such a personal story and small minded story for most of it, that it was very refreshing. And, and I just, I kind of felt like, um, much like, uh, uh, at the end of winter soldier where it just, it became that thing we kind of didn't want it to become in the last several minutes. And it just kind of felt, tacked on and it's you know suddenly it's universal stakes yeah uh, like, they have like, to like, again to get the world to yeah when you can make a very good i think you can make a very good story just not resorting to any of that and maybe that was studio pressure or or whatever but um, well, I, th I think when you find out he's a god when mm -hmm. he's not just a random villain that is enhanced in some way when you find out that he's a literal god i think you have to go further with it i don't think i think it may have felt like they didn't get everything out of it if they did keep it small like from a story standpoint it may have worked but i think that it needed to have that grand scale to match the type of character that he was and so so yeah. it didn't it, 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 it didn't, didn't bother me so it just, like it just it, wasn't a through line that's what okay. bothered me like it just kind of went from personal personal to universe in 20 minutes 
but even like even someone like Hella, and I think we'll talk a little. I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this sort of in our section a little bit later when we talk a little bit about Black Panther. But I think that she's crafted in a way that it almost looks like she can't be defeated. Like I, I think that there's a there's a real piece of that. So you're talking about Thor. Yes, I'm, I'm talking okay. about the villain, the villain in Thor. Okay, Hella. It, yeah, it took me a second. Yeah, um, sorry. She, you know, she breaks Thor's hammer. She's as powerful, if not more so, than Thor and Loki. And so, I mean, this is we've seen Thor just be so cocky and arrogant throughout the entire series, mm-hmm. and breaking the hammer right off was a, a it's a, huge, a really good start because you know, hey, this is, and that's partly Taika Waititi just going, this is going to be something that, hey, we're going to have to try to improvise here and try to. <laughs> not bring this deus ex machina of of Mjolnir into it. So, yeah. um, So yeah. When he's he's improvising, he's on pretty solid footing, mm -hmm. I I would say. Yeah. Um, So, so, so so there are, even when she's like, she's still hell bent on just conquering Asgard and then conquering the rest of it. But there are little pieces in there that I think really reflect. I don't know if it's a growth or if it's just the specific villains that they've chosen for this yeah oh even you go back to daniel daniel Bruhl's character in civil war even which is also part of this this phase uh at the time before i saw black panther was my he's my favorite villain of the mcu just because he had just real stakes that made sense on an on a human and emotional level and he wasn't some grandiose generic evil presence he had a very specific goal and he essentially accomplishes it uh and outsmarts all team Avenger and gets what he wants. Um, and it just, it had that very human and uh, relatable dimension to it. Um, um, so you're adding all these up. You got, you got Hella was her name? Hella. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm yeah. Really, 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 I was like racking my brain. You're trying to figure Who out. Who the yeah. fuck is he talking about right now? Cause I don't even remember her name from that, but yeah. Okay. And you got Keaton's vulture. You got Kurt Russell's God character. You got Daniel Bruhl and civil war a pretty good roster of uh of villains there i think yeah the far outshines the uh the other phases before it i would say by, may, by a mile and they're maybe not as big of names as like the joker or mm-hmm. lex Luthor or something but as foils for the heroes that have already been established i think it does they they have a good counterbalance and they've done better i think with um with the stakes, with the villains and things like that. So, mm-hmm. good job, Marvel. Check mark. I think the villains are in the solid yeah, in the box. Yeah, yeah. The, the villains are are market improvements, mm-hmm. and uh, I think when we get to, to Black Panther, I'll yeah, we'll talk about I'll, Killmonger I'll, then. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later because I, I think that's where they really shine here. But just from those ones we rattled off, a, a very market improvement. Mm-hmm. So our next spot that we kind of talked about, and we talked a little bit about, was 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 stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this is sort of something. Do you have some something to add on these, or do you have a uh, the stakes? I think um, I do feel like the Marvel movies in this latest phase are a little more accepting of what they are, and they aren't necessarily trying for these ridiculous kind of Age of Ultron kind of stories every time. Uh, every time out of the gate, where we, you know we're cities are literally being dropped and uh there's these very nefarious shapeless villain characters that are just intent on conquering everything and they just come out of the blue for that story you're like why haven't why hasn't this motherfucker been talked about in any other movies like yeah. this, this dude's serious you yeah. know um <laughs> and so i think that the the stakes have been more grounded per movie um spider-man homecoming is a very local story uh they kept it very grounded there uh Ragnarok, even though it's has for me kind of like a perfunctory finale, and the whole movie is is incredibly light and fleeting and fleet mm-hmm. fleet on its feet. Um, it still c- keeps most of it confined to Asgard and keeps it kind of like a almost like a palace intrigue kind of story where you got members of the same family battling each other for the throne, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was refreshing. And uh, God, I remember what happened in Doctor Strange, but I probably didn't like it. Uh, oh, well, no, they had the loop. They had oh, the, 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 they time, had the loop. time loop. The yeah, Dormammu yeah. I've come to bargain. Okay. That sort of thing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and and that's, you know, we haven't really talked much about Doctor Strange 
I've only seen it the once. I, I think it's one of the most inconsequential movies of this whole. Which is strange. It's just, I mean, roster because the visuals I think are one of the best. I think it's it's some of the best visual effects that any of these movies but have had. They have one really good trick up their sleeves visually in that movie, and, yeah, they, but... and, and I was kind of they kind of beat it to death in the first scene, <laughs> and by the time they try and go back to a lot of it in the finale, I'm yeah, like, I nothing new. Seen it? Okay, seen it. Been there. And Benedict Cumberbatch is so charming and other things and everything. So it seems like this would be right up his sleeve, but it just is, it kind of is one of the more forgettable ones, not only in this phase, but I think just overall, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, civil war starts out with, I think rather large stakes, you know, they, they bring it back. They bring Sokovia back into the matter and everything, but the, the stakes slowly and slowly shrink until the very end when it's literally just a fist fight between Avengers. Um, so I thought the stakes were, were managed very well in that one. Um, Ant-Man, I'll say, Better than anticipated for me. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Ant Man. We talked a lot, a little bit about Ant Man yeah. in the show, and we're going, <laughs> man, I really hope it's a failure. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're like, that that'll show them. In, <laughs> like, in reality, I liked it more than Age of Ultron. <laughs> okay, uh, because it's it's also a very slight movie, like like yeah. um, like Doctor Strange and, and Spider Man Homecoming for me. But it also is very self contained and has a, a much needed dose of humor mm-hmm. along with it. Um, uh yeah, I, I think the stakes are better managed this time around just because they they treat the stories just more locally overall and there's not any of that Thor dark world kind of yeah. feeling where suddenly the universe is at stake and you don't really know how you got there. But, yeah, no, I I think yeah. I think uh two for two on improvements. I think the stakes are you know, they're they're still very grandiose at times, which is is fine, but I I think that the the stories, the, the context in which these stakes um, arise are much better managed than they have been in the past. And, and I think in this in this uh, third phase, they really have given their filmmakers room to breathe a little bit, you know. And I think because we talked about how it seemed like they couldn't attract any high-end talent directing-wise. Mm-hmm. And they all sort of seemed like directors for hire mm-hmm. because it seemed like Kevin Feige was just sort of over their shoulder, like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to do that? And so, and so in terms of being able to attract that high end talent, I think, I mean, Taika Waititi made a film. James Gunn obviously has made two. I mean, Um, even, even, well, the, the, the casting of, of Waititi as director, I mean, he's, he's really good, but I mean, it's not exactly, he wasn't going to the well of established talent there either. I mean, no, but he's got I, a couple very, very small credits under his belt. But that, I think even that is even a very, mm-hmm. just a bold choice for them mm-hmm. in that particular film and what they're trying to do mm-hmm. with it. I know. I, th- I think he pitched a version of Thor to them that they found invigorating because yeah. they still hadn't struck the right tone with Thor in two movies. And he brought it to that very zany, comical, over-the-top place yeah. that I think it always needed to go to. But I guess, it, but even if he's not like okay, maybe not established is not the right word, but like, but the he's a he's not tour. He's got a stamp, right? Yeah, he's, he's, that's, he's, that's he's, he's got I'm a vision. For. He's got a style. Yeah. It feels more like a Taika Waititi movie and less like a cookie cutter Marvel type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned on the Build a Film episode that I feel like. If the decision was being made about Ant-Man in 2018, that Edgar Wright may have ended up directing it. <laughs> because I think that yeah. they've kind of loosened the reins a little bit. And so if he wanted I, to do it, I, I mean, maybe it, maybe they could meet in the middle. I mean, this is all speculation and conjecture. because this is happening. just so out of left field compared to everything else they do. But it, look it, at it, Ragnarok, it, though. It I think Ragnarok a, is completely visually different than But, but it's very films. similar to something like like Guardians at the same time though too where it's this very extravagant kind of space opera kind of feeling whereas Edgar Wright like the the entire form of the movie changes I think if you put Edgar Wright on it you know I mean he just made Baby Driver like yeah. he just made like a living musical mm-hmm. you know and that, that's the kind of that's the kind of yeah. sandbox he plays in um, whereas I, I can see why T D coming to more of a compromise with his style and the Marvel style. Like, so you think it's a bridge too far? You think that? Yeah, like I like I, I think Wright is, is much too on his own island for them to to give for him them this to chance. Come in. Yeah. All right. Well, I disagree. Mm. But maybe I just love Edgar Wright. So. <laughs> not that you don't. Not that you don't. I like Edgar Wright quite right. a bit too. Um, so yeah, some other. So what we, what what else we got? What are, what are some other things we? Uh, well, what about we talked what about, about things? How they continued things that we thought they had um, that they, that we that did they well. That, yeah, the, how they've continued their strengths. Um, before we listed that 
they're always very good with their hero casting, and I don't really think anything has happened since then to refute that. No. I think they've been pretty solid across the board. Uh, there haven't been really any busts. Even somebody as young as Tom Holland work, worked very well in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, someone as untested as that, so I think they... They still hit home runs there. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, you talked about earlier. A big Again, star. I, yeah. You know, I mean, I know the movie is whatever, but like it's still, they can still get a big star. And he probably has a bigger role in Infinity War, too, so we can see more of him. And he was funny uh, in uh, Ragnarok. He, he, I think he's going he to die in Infinity War, but I, really? we'll, but, but I guess we'll get there. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I think we will get there. Because um, that's going to be one of the most fun things to talk about. Okay, all right. <laughs> but what about just the, the personal moments that we had kind of harped on Marvel for not really having enough of yeah. you know just the the quieter dialogue driven moments where the the characters and personalities are really allowed to shine mm-hmm. i mean the, the iron iron man movies never really had a problem with that just because of robert downey jr's charisma um but some of the other movies definitely had and like the, the thor movies for example always always felt like they were striking a wrong key mm-hmm. um so have they do we have that you know 10 percent of a plan uh, thing from Guardians being uh, right. ex- expanded out into the rest of the universe. As I think much. so. I think I, I think the scene that that comes to mind immediately is the scene in Homecoming where uh, Spider-Man is uh, trapped in that giant warehouse where he's having to try to get it because he's in the truck mm-hmm. and then the truck drives into the into the warehouse and he's trapped in the warehouse. He's trying to get out, mm. and so he's interacting with this new. Uh, with with the new suit and trying to figure out different ways to get out and there there there's a big montage of things that are you know it, it was it was just it was just pretty funny to uh, me but that just it just reminded me of how much Tony Stark was in the movie though and it just it, it didn't do much for me no I, I just I think there's way too much Stark in the movie but that's a different topic um, but I will say that in terms of the personal kind of low key stuff the scene in the car. Yeah. Oh, with, yeah. With Parker. Yeah. And, uh, and, Michael Ma- and Michael Keaton is easily the standout scene of the movie for me because that is just old school tension. Mm-hmm. That there's not a visual effect in sight. <laughs> you know, you got the villain and the hero, and they're slowly realizing who the other one is, and it's just the most awkward and tension ridden scene in the entire yeah. movie. Yeah. You know. So. I mean, even the reveal <laughs> before then, mm-hmm. that the scene with. Uh, where they where he Peter Parker goes to his date's house, yeah, and Michael Keaton opens, opens the, door. the door. Spoilers for uh, <laughs> for that, but I mean even that was a real, was a real aha moment that they mm-hmm. completely didn't have to have it really. Almost, it was almost like the crazy stupid love moment. Yeah, where yeah you just go <laughs> with the what with, uh, Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like we should have seen it coming, but nobody did. Well, going really quick, I want to go back to the Stark thing. I think they can have their characters do interesting things now that they're not having to worry about origin stories and the sense of that, that they all do exist in the same world. So they're probably going to come up in different times. Like a big thing we talked about in the uh, iron, again, in Iron Man three is all this stuff is going on. All this stuff is happening. And Tony Stark is having to handle it on his own. Like, no, the Avenger it's the Avengers exists. Like you call the Avengers when there's, when there's big things uh-huh. that are happening. And so I think that, but that doesn't feed into our, our standalone requirements either for the movies. Though. Well, no, but, 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 but I think just that specific, but that specific um, See, I, thing I, you were talking I, about, but, but I, I felt Stark was in the movie as a precaution um, because they were putting a relatively untested teenager in mm-hmm. their lead role who had, done decently in a, you know, in his little cameo he had before, but yeah. he was asking being asked to shoulder a $150 million movie. And I think that, you know, they, 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 they hid the seams pretty well with just how much Stark is in the movie, but it kind of just like kept adding up and adding up and adding up. I'm like, now he's giving him a new suit. You know, it's just, it felt like they needed as like a, a, a sigh of relief on the studio side of things to have that presence in the movie constantly, which is, I guess I'm of, always all right with more, with, with more Robert Downey Jr. It doesn't, it doesn't really bug I, me. I mean, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it did like eight movies in, you're not getting a little tired of it. No, it doesn't stand No, That's like, cause I mean, I think that's just who he is now. I think so. Anytime we see him in any, you know, if you watch the judge, it's like, Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yes, it's just reference. Tony Stark as uh 
uh, Robert Duvall's son. So that's the only movie I could think of that he's done what that was, isn't what, Marvel. Was, was it the Galifianakis one he did? Due date. Uh, due date. Yeah. That was years ago, though. Yeah. That was years so, so ago. So was the judge. Yeah. <laughs> not that. Not 10 years ago. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but, but so I, I think that maybe the fact that maybe not too many of them came to mind tells mm-hmm. me that maybe there's less of a of an emphasis on them um but maybe they're I mean, you know, they're counterbalancing Spider-Man it Spider-Man with... had some of those moments like we've just talked about right Guardians was almost the second Guardians film was almost an entire movie devoted to small moments um uh it, it was very very dialed back I think even from the first movies reliance on action and kind of mm-hmm. whiz-bang visual effects it was so character-based so I'll definitely give that movie a lot of credit for that um civil war i think was full of very personal very charged moments um where a lot of the story is just coming from dialogue yeah you know and that's how a lot of the the stakes and tensions are getting built up we're 10 years old it's 10 years we're 10 years older maybe i'm just looking at it with you know 33 year old glasses now and i'm like all right, I wish there were more, but let's look at what we actually have yeah. and, and dissect it. <laughs> three, you know, three and a half years since the last podcast. Well, and, and you I'm, know, we didn't we, we 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 didn't love the things that came out. So again, maybe it's a, and the films a I think were, were weaker too. Yeah, I think the films have just gotten better, better flat out. Yeah, so maybe a little more to harp on back then. Yeah, but I'm glad that we're past it, and I'm glad that they've been able to 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 do what we liked. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think moving off that, and again. Part of why we kind of wanted to do this, too, is because there was uh, a huge, gigantic blockbuster of a movie that came out in between our last podcast and now, being our top ten list, and now. And uh, I think it deserves to be chatted about a little bit in this space, and that's uh, Black Panther. Yeah, I think it's, it needs its own segment here. Yeah. Because it's kind of being at least being received as more than just a movie mm-hmm. so it's a worthy topic of yeah. exploration and and i i mean and going into it i mean we're a couple of um older white dudes so it's gonna be are tough. we older now I are you are you are you going there uh, well i mean older than maybe like some of the we're kids millennials seeing... all right fair enough okay we're... fine for this movie i think you can't talk about the movie itself without talking about what it has done for representation just, just culturally culturally i mean this is just it, it's and, and we, it, it's a major coup for them in, in filmmaking in general i'd say well i think you have to also point out this this is, this is not obviously the first black superhero we've had you know i think wesley snipes would have something to say about mm-hmm. that and even richard roundtree while we're at it yeah as uh, the original shaft although michael j white well, who we well, talked about yeah, spawn spawn yeah but um even even Shaft, not technically a superhero, but don't tell the movie that, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movie sure treats him like a superhero. Right, yeah. But this is definitely the the first superhero film featuring a black lead character that is actually about black identity and and putting that at the forefront, uh, which I think is the key difference there with other representations in the past. True, that could be it. Yeah, I think that it well, and that part of it too. But I think. You look at also the representation in, of the women in the movie as well, and I think that that has been a big piece in maybe the financial success and some of the cultural success is that it's brought in a lot of people who maybe hadn't gone to see superhero movies before because of, I mean, because the, the women in the film are strong just because they're strong women, like they're they're not the, strong to get a guy or they're not strong for whatever. Right. Like they they are smart, they it, are talented, right. and they're actually they probably overshadow the men in a majority of the situations as well. It's not just that there's people of color both in front of and behind the camera. It's just that, like you said, they were bringing a lot of of women into the fray and not just um, you know wife and girlfriend kind of roles here. And it doesn't feel forced or pandering. Um, they set up all the characters, especially his his general in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blanking on her name at the moment, but she to- you totally buy her as a warrior on par with anybody she comes up against yeah. in the entire scope of the film. And I think it's just, it's a credit to Ryan Coogler for casting those perfectly. I mean, the entire supporting cast is excellent, like down the line. Uh, I can only think of one weak spot in the film, casting-wise. No. And that's with a good eight to ten different characters. Um, I mean, it's really just, it's kind of a who's who of African-American 
filmmakers and actors, actors and everything. And, yeah. and I mean, and Jordan and Lubitsky and Angela mm-hmm. Bassett and yeah. Forrest Whitaker. Like it's just <laughs> yeah, anybody who's anybody is in this film. It never ends, yeah. And I think that I think that that what's great about it too is that everybody's on equal footing. It's never it, it, it never T'Challa is he's the king and he's the Black Panther, but you never really get the sense that he's in this, you know, that he's above everybody else. Everybody seems to be men, women, child, everybody is just seems to be on the same level and there's never any, let's elevate this, elevate that. Um, so I think that that is important in the equality of it, of it as well, which I think is a really great, uh, yeah, really great and thing. I think what this movie does that also distinguishes it from how um, African-Americans have been portrayed in the past in these kind of films is that, you not only have a movie about black identity here, you have a movie about competing black identities. So you got the the Killmonger character who's from the you know, the rough and tumble streets of Oakland. There's a very affecting and well um, well filmed prelude to this movie that we start in Oakland, we kind of sow the seeds of his character. And he comes um, his character is uh, developed into, you know, ironically more something in line with more the actual Black Panther movement than um, something like T'Challa would represent, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what is actually happening. The American Black Panther. Yeah, movie. the American yeah, Black yeah, Panther yeah, movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so he comes at this with this very uh, mercenary kind of, you know, street lifestyle kind of character. Um, this very loud, very brash, very live wire character. And then you contrast that with the nation of Wakanda, which is kind of this very regal, very subdued kind of stoic culture. I mean, they're a warrior culture, but they're not like him, you know, like this is two very different uh, sides of the black identity spectrum kind of clashing in this movie. And I think the fallout of that is one of the biggest strengths this movie has going Mm -hmm. for it. And and yeah, and, and again, Wakanda, like when you strip away its comic book elements of being this uh, this clandestine utopia almost that, really that yeah. poses as this very needy, you know, uh, tribal third world country, and you, you strip away the the vibranium comic book elements, which this whole city is is basically is, is funded by, and you know, and it's just kind of this um, this this proxy for uh, various African tribes that have populated the uh, the continent, um, and so Killmonger comes in with this kind of Black Panther, Black Liberation Army kind of element to Mentality, him. Mentality, yeah, yeah. And you can tell that the, T'Challa and his people have no idea how to deal with this because this guy does not play by their rules. And even though he is Wakandan, I mean, he is he has yeah. that he has that in him. Mm, he right. does the whole thing where he shows his bottom lip and he's got the tattoo and everything on there. So mm. yeah, you would think that he would come in and respect. The, the 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 law of the land but he just says no you guys are phonies and i want to i want to change this so. yeah killmonger comes in with this very physical very charismatic presence and uh i think the latter the char- the charisma is very arguably at the expense of this film's hero i think because it's almost a it's almost a joker batman situation where the villain is so much more captivating mm-hmm. than the hero when he's on screen that, I mean, Bozeman isn't giving a bad performance in this movie. I think his character is just so starkly different from, from Killmonger that you kind of just want to go back and see what Michael B. Jordan's doing yeah. every time they pivot away from him. Cause you're like, uh, he's more com- interesting, compelling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this guy has an emotional arc that's built on a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of betrayal and has a legitimate right to the throne of Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And you add up all those pieces and you have a real villain that Marvel has, in my view, so desperately lacked to this point. Uh, I mean, he, I think it without question, he outshines T'Challa in this movie. Yeah. Um, in, in almost every turn and just about everything that, um, transpires with his character i think is is earned and believable and it's interesting because he's he's a human being we i know you talked about he's the flesh movie. And blood, yeah, yeah that's it i mean he, he he's not ultron he's not he's not any he's sort not of the, celestial being not the he, celestial cloud and dr strange yeah he's he, a flesh and blood person with he's a, not even i mean he 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 has wakandan roots but he's not even in that world where they're elevated by technology and they have all these 
you know, wonderful toys and everything to play with. I mean, he's just, he's just a guy who worked his ass off and was in the army and just decided he saw something and he wanted to take it. And so he went and did it. And so he has those human flaws and he has those, he has human emotions really that Mm -hmm. even when you are in this gigantic technological bubble that they're in, he's still very grounded. And I think that's a big factor with a lot of these villains is how can you not make it so it's, it's not as like, it's not so big. It's not so like cosmic. It's, you know, we try to keep it as grounded as possible. So I think Killmonger does a really, really, uh, is a good representation of that. And just also from a, just from a studio standpoint as well, it shows that these types of movies, that people want to see these types of movies. So often you are, oh, I, you can't make a film with women in it, or you can't, have this that and the others people aren't going to go see it but i think that the past year has shown that that's just not true mm-hmm. uh i mean you look at a movie even like girls trip i mean that movie made way more money than anybody was expecting I mean, over 100 million dollars get out same thing oscar nominations 100 million dollars there is there's a, a, a the, people want these types of movies there's yeah, a thirst even for these types the, of the other side of the aisle you know patty jenkins wonder woman yeah you know just a a, a very new and underrepresented viewpoint into something that's becoming very established. I mean, the superhero films are their own genre at this point. They're legitimately their own genre and need to be, need to be examined mm-hmm. and studied as yeah, such. The, just the cultural shift in our own culture, I would say towards inclusion and towards um, Rep- representation. representation, everything yeah. like that. I mean, it works within the film and it also works as a business model too. I mean, it's so, I think that it's you're probably going to see more films in the vein of Black Panther, maybe not exactly like that because it's a Marvel movie. But I think that movies with with different casts and you're going to be and you're going to see all these things coming out. I think in the next few mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's only going to be good for the for Hollywood and for the um, for films writ large. So yeah, with Black Panther in particular, I think the the hiring of Ryan Coogler in the director's chair was met with pretty universal approval at the time and those those returns have paid nothing but dividends since this entire process has has come to its conclusion i mean he's he's a made man now like yeah. ryan googler can literally do whatever no, he wants made, i mean and it's so funny to see his films grow and in... he, he's so the right person to make this movie i mean uh, his two previous films fruitvale station and, and creed both very strong efforts uh also have very large um, either subtext or, or, or explicit um, segments that just devoted to, to black identity and black culture and how and how and how blacks are, are represented, you know. Um, and so th- there was no doubt in my mind if he was allowed to make his movie that, that this was going to be the result. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely the right choice. All right. So I also want to have one yeah. more thing. One more thing. Because. This this is a very Black Panther is a movie with a lot of ideas pulsing through it, and even the idea of uh, Wakanda I think is something that is worth diving into a little bit more because here is this fictionalized country that is a model of um, black isolationism and technological superiority right and that's something that the film is arguing you know in a more realistic setting, this is something how that might actually play out in reality. And it posits this very, this, this thriving surreptitious culture that's kind of been unexploited by whether it's Imperial white culture or it's uh, intertribal African violence, you know, they're they just be kind of left on their own for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. Um, and, and this is like that thriving black metropolis you know that you know for whatever reason the, the world hasn't really seen to this point um and i i think that that's a really fascinating and 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 provocative thought experiment that the the movie is asking us to consider that i can't really think of any other movie that's no, done that to this point not at all i mean i think the logistics of how wakanda gets to where it is kind of begins to crack the more closely you look at it yeah you know because like how are they doing trade like where's this all you know yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's another story but um it's still it's still a comic book movie. it's Let's still, not still a comic book yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> but i think it's one of the big reasons why this movie has been such a, a cultural firestorm is yeah. it, it has a lot of very big unexplored ideas in it and that's i mean frankly it's great 
But let's talk about what you actually think, what you actually think of the movie. Black Panther, <laughs> the movie itself. Uh, I feel like there is more to say about it with what we've talked about than there is as a movie. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of excellent scenes in it. I think the technology that it posits in the movie that they're able to to harness, I think, is great. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some people say that possibly that th- th- there's a there's a case to be made where shuri can take over as iron man <laughs> because she is basically just tony stark really mm-hmm. i mean the way that she's very cocky and confident i mean she's one of the best characters in in the entire movie for me uh and just the my favorite my favorite scene was the the part where they basically were dr- the, the 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 remote driving oh in, in she, korea yeah where she's everything in, in korea was fantastic. oh it was great I mean, just and the 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 idea of the suit being able to absorb just so I love the tech the technological stuff. Um, Killmonger is a fantastic villain. There's some great set pieces in it. Um, some of the CGI felt a little bit. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get there. Wonky, I think. I think we both sort of thought that. <laughs> I'll get there. Um, but I think that um, as its own, it doesn't it didn't bother me watching it and thinking, okay, this is. Because it did feel kind of like its own story, you know, and it, very much it so. felt very self-contained. I know we're going to see more of it in Infinity War, and there there are some threads at the end that indicate kind of the more global level that Killmonger is attempting to take mm-hmm. these motivations. But for the most part, it's a very local, very contained story. Yeah. And did you think that at the end he was going to come out and say, "I am Black Panther," and then like, that's kind of what I thought of that. That would have been an instance of self cannibalization that I don't think even the most diehard fan could forgive. But but yeah, but generally, I generally I think it's a solid. I think it's a solid entry, but I think that the what it does on the to the out, you know, within the subtext of the movie and what it does within the film. Um, I think elevates it a little bit more. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like this film. Um, it's kind of the the story of the Lion King crossed with James Bond that we never knew we really needed. I mean, I mean, Shuri is Q, right? Yeah, she's, of course. She's yeah. She is literally providing hundred percent with all the cool gadgets and all that stuff. Um, I think this is a good film. Is it is it six hundred million domestic good? A billion dollars overall good. 10th highest grossing film of all time good <laughs> maybe no, not no no um it's a pretty confident no for me there mm-hmm. um i think that this is probably two-thirds of what a real what i would consider to be a really great superhero movie mm-hmm. i think the the third act becomes very sloppy and uh mar- for lack of a better word marvel-y <laughs> um <laughs> it's uh it kind of falls apart uh it goes to places that the rest of the movie had done an impressive job of avoiding. Um, there's the the two really great action set pieces on the uh, the waterfall area. Yeah, that are very. It was it was like another round of Creed. You know, is mm-hmm. what it felt like. It was all very personal, very bone crunching, very visceral, very close. You know, it was very hand to hand, very close yeah, quarter. Yeah, yeah, and then it just it goes to terrible CGI animals and horrible digi doubles for both black panther and killmonger uh a completely a completely digital uh terrible final battle setting in this place that has not been established where these like bullet trains are zipping by mm-hmm. and honestly and the characters look so similar i don't really know who's who it's like <laughs> literally like a, a a chain of color around their neck is all that yeah, separates it looks them. different yeah uh, and I think there's also some very, very lame story shortcuts as to how T'Challa makes his his uh, big realization. No, his his comeback, I guess. Oh, okay. After um after the uh, the whole him you know losing, which mm-hmm. I which I thought was very good and a good place to take that movie. Yeah. Um, but I think when you add up all the chips from the things we've mentioned, I I do think it, this movie makes a compelling case to be Marvel's most interesting and idea rich film to date and i am happy it found a really wide audience and it's being celebrated yeah um and like you said it's also very refreshingly bereft of studio uh, tie-ins with Mm -hmm. with, uh, other films which i cannot heap enough praise upon (laughs) it's so weird that it that that they just not only do they introduce a brand new character in a brand new world but that's all that they did they were they, they resisted especially with infinity war coming up you would think that that they would just heap everything into it, but it is odd that they kept it so hands off because they wanted to make it stand on its own. 
mm-hmm. rather than maybe tied into to uh, other things in uh, it, is, it is funny war, with all the so. infinity war marketing you know black panther is so prominently displayed now in, mm-hmm. in everything yeah and i i think that they were counting on it being that good at least that's what kevin feige is saying now like they were really no he's saying it now he's saying it, he's saying it now <laughs> yeah. he's like yeah like they really were hoping it was gonna be that good and have that much of an impact because they were going to prominently feature him in, in infinity war uh so yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, I think we've covered that one. Well, speaking of Infinity War, there's a transition for you. Yes. I think we should uh, probably just let cap me, it off. Let me set this one up for you, Ryan. Set it up, please. So, Do it. 18 films in 10 years leading to Infinity War. Whew. That's roughly 40 to 50 hours of our time if we just saw the movies once. Okay. 40 to 50 hours of our lives. Do we still care? Do you care? The, they've gotten me back on board. Okay. I think there is... There is, ele- there are elements that we've talked about, and I'm a positive person. I want things to do well. I don't like it. I don't like saying bad things about things. Uh, come on, let's just make it good. So, I'm happy to want to fu- see good movies. Exactly, and I'm happy to find positives in them because there's a whole other element of it, which is that the movies still feel like events. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, it, it's about as close as we get, really. These days. events these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because everything is so saturated and there's so many different forms of media. But when a Marvel movie comes out, you need to see it in the first two or three days if you don't want to have, any, have anything spoiled for you. Mm-hmm. And you need to feel like you're... I mean, for us at least. I know for, for we love films and we talk to a lot of people who love movies and stuff like that. We need to feel like we are part of it. Whether you continue hating them or you're somewhere in the middle yeah. or you continue loving them, you still have to be a part of you the have conversation. To be, yeah, you can't talk if you haven't seen the movie. And mm-hmm. so part of it is is that they are major events. And so I think in that sense, their marketing is always very good. The trailers are always, I feel like, very well put together and they really get you excited. Um, so I still care. I'm still mm-hmm. curious. I mean, because even in the future, even... even the films that they've announced very briefly uh, past Infinity War. You have the second in this, you have Avengers 4, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have Captain Marvel with Brie Larson, which yeah. seems really, really interesting, mm-hmm. set in the 90s. And then if they, if Thor survives, then being able to have short hair, funny, quippy Thor going forward could also be a fun little mm-hmm. piece. Going. So I think there are elements to it and in introducing new characters and things like that. And so... I, I think that yeah, I, I I'm positive. I'm I'm more optimistic about the future. I think than I was three and a half years ago. Yeah, I mean, dovetailing with our earlier discussion of all the things that they've improved upon, I think it it does make this latest Avengers film something more of an anticipation. Which leading up to Ultron, I didn't really care anymore. And I think they've done enough of a good job with the solo films to kind of recapture a little of that phase one magic yeah you know i mean it's not quite to that level i think just because there's been so many movies Mm -hmm. you know uh and it kind of feels like nothing has really been cashed in yet (laughs) they're they're they're, you know and if there's ever been a movie that's going to do it it better be this one probably going to be this one (laughs) it's a they you got probably 300 minutes over two films to uh to cash it in over 10 over a, a 10 year period so I, I think i think there's two converting stories here with this overall mcu phenomenon i think there's the box office reality of the films which they're still juggernauts just as they're they're, they're, they're undeniably killers at the box office um so there's that i mean there's nothing there's no reason for marvel to really change anything uh, but then you have the other thread of like, what is the collective public consciousness about these films for the people who aren't as invested as people like you and I are, even the more died in the wool Marvel fans way beyond us, you know, mm-hmm. who know all the intricacies of all the stories yeah. and how the movies are departing from the comics and all, all that minutia. Like, do you think that with outside of kind of the, you know, the cinephile sphere, do you think there's kind of a, some fatigue setting in at this point? I can't. That's the thing. I surround myself with cinephiles. I'm in a bubble. I'm in. I'm in my own. Uh, my own liberal elite cinephile <laughs> bubble. So your white privilege bubble. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. To, it's tough to know. But I think that people know. People are going to know what the Avengers are. Like they're going to know about the Avengers. So I don't know if there's necessarily a fatigue because also I don't know if everybody 
outside of us sees all of these movies. They may just not go, well, I just don't really care or I missed it for whatever reason. And so there possibly couldn't be a fatigue. So I, no, I don't think there is because like you said, there's still box office juggernauts and people, I think more only, and more people are going to see. I them. think you're correct. I think that there probably has been much of a shift in the non cinephile crowd in terms of like how many of these movies they're seeing and how many they're not seeing. It's probably been pretty consistent from beginning to end. You know, they get around to the ones that they get around to, mm-hmm. and they, there's probably a few that fall through the cracks right. or, or whatever. But I think most of the fatigue is to be discussed with people like you and me who really follow this stuff closely. Yeah. Um, we read articles consistent, constantly, <laughs> and we've basically we've, we're essentially following the film from its when it starts principal photography to when it's released. Like, mm-hmm. we're just following all the stories that come out about it. So yeah. that could add to it, but I generally think that. The, you know, the numbers are, and because because it, it would have reflected in the box office numbers you know james cameron mm-hmm. can talk all, all he wants about how he thinks he, he wants the avengers culture to die and then make th- five more fucking avatar movies like <laughs> the, the, you know well, really no one's asking for no but i mean <laughs> but i don't know if it's gonna happen i mean it's been 10 years and i think they're more popular than they've ever been so if it's gonna happen i don't know if it's necessarily gonna happen maybe if they kill some characters and maybe if they don't all right let's talk about that yeah because this is supposed to be i mean i was very let down in civil war when nobody died <laughs> yeah i mean that you I, mentioned that yeah i, the, I really the, you, you give it a name uh, civil war i don't think the movie really name. had the courage of its convictions <laughs> if you put war in the title yeah. that there probably should be some casualties here and there right but this is really supposed to be the movie where everything is flipped on its head and so i guess you posed the question to me earlier mm-hmm who do I think is going to die and then how and why? Well, let's run through maybe a couple of the people that we know probably won't die. Okay. Yes. We can well, there's, from there. there are some stupidly patently obvious characters that aren't going to die yes, because so, they still have solo films in the yes, lineup. So that would be Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Black Panther, probably most of the guardians, most of the guardians. Uh, you could probably say Ant-Man since Ant-Man's got his own movie Ant-Man and Wasp coming out. So yeah. right there, that's already three of the, they're not going to die. 37,000 <laughs> characters that are going to be in this movie that won't yeah. die. So, um, mm. I mean, it's easy to get excited for. I will say, I think is you know, like you said, this is what we've been building towards. I mean, my initial thought is I feel like the trailer is, misleading people i think it is i think it's setting us up that they to make us think captain america is probably going to die because we see him fighting thanos he doesn't have the shield Mm -hmm. thanos obviously has his gauntlet Uh, and has the upper hand on. yeah so i think the trailer is setting it up to where we can think okay he's gonna die but i think it's a misdirect Mm -hmm. i think because they wouldn't give something that away they wouldn't even give a hint of that away in any of the marketing i don't think people are going to see it regardless they don't need to go oh maybe somebody major is going to die and so mm. that's kind of that's that's kind of my other opinion. But I'm also not convinced Marvel has the balls to kill off Stark though either. He, I, I still think he's inarguably their most popular character. Yeah. Oh, and I completely agree. Do they really have the balls to do that? They will if the studio doesn't want to pay him fifty million dollars <laughs> to be in a movie. I guess they don't but care, about, they don't, they don't care yeah. about that. He's too much of a money maker. Yeah, I just don't know. I, I, I have a hard time believing that that he'll die. Um, the movie does fa- the movie does allegedly, and we're we're recording this a couple days before it comes out. It could be. It's a very like Thor and Thanos are. It kind of follows them a little bit since Thor got sort of forgotten about in Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. We didn't really catch up with him until Ragnarok, until very mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It would be a shame if he died because they could do so much more interesting stuff with the character going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were you going to say? Here's my, I think either Cap or Stark is going. I think one of those two will go. And I'm just going to put my money on Cap because I, I, I don't think Marvel has the confidence to kill off Iron Man. For some reason, I just don't think they're going to. I could be mm-hmm. completely wrong. But I think I think Stark lives. <laughs> okay. Um, I think... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong in, in thinking that that maybe... well, just the fact we're having this conversation yeah. is so exciting, right? Yeah, and they'll probably end up killing nobody. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, here's my list of characters I think are are, are gone. I think okay. I think Cap is gone. I think Doctor Strange is gone. I can't imagine them wanting to make another Doctor Strange movie. Um, but do you think that's a reflection or of 
the poor reception of the movie or do, or of that film specifically? I think he's one or? of the most expendable characters. Okay, I guess that yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think I think War Machine is finally gone. Hmm. Um, he should have been gone in Civil War, but yet he persists. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I mean, why why have why have a paralyzed War Machine walking around? Yeah, it makes sense. Just just kill him for fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> um, I I think Hawkeye's gone. I, I I can't. I think of the Black Widow hawkeye tandem mm-hmm. i think he's more likely to go than she is i think so too well because he's not as he, he's not in any of the marketing really yeah. so and and really well do you think he's gonna die or do you think he's just not gonna be a wreck because i mean the guy we've established he has a family like he's got yeah. a wife and children <laughs> so a family to think about yeah, exactly it would be <laughs> can't be saving so, the world with a family on the ranch it would be so sad if he died it would be so sad if they did that to him if they just sort of let him retire go off into the distance or maybe they try to recruit him and he goes sorry guys like this isn't for me or something mm-hmm. like that so that would be that would be pretty fucked up yeah. if they if they killed him i think <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would yeah. be. You're right. I didn't really think about the family, the family yeah. element. Yeah, but... pregnant wife and everything. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. But maybe there's a who's gonna raise this maybe baby? There's a... Thanos, <laughs> the surrogate father. Yeah. No one needs. Uh... I'm the father now. <laughs> there's not much fun in fathering a child. But... <laughs> well, he's got to bring other women in there's from there, other there's, other places. There's to, no uh... balance to the yeah. universe in fathering a child. Um, and my my latest prediction, my my last prediction is I think both. I'm counting on a lot of bodies in this movie. Hey, wow. There's um, a whole other one, too. There's, like, another one that's coming out in a well, couple of years, also. I know. So. I know. But I, and I think Loki and Thor might all, both be on the chopping block as well. Okay. Um, I think Thor. More than Loki. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, that's that would that not be an example of misdirection, though, from the, the marketing team. Because, I mean, you got the, the hand over the head mm-hmm. and the... No! Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but... And I also... My last prediction, I mean, I, I thought about this quite a bit. I can tell. Because I don't think less of me. No. But I want as many bodies as possible in this movie. <laughs> I think we deserve it as fans. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 deserve, we, we deserve a pile of bodies. Now, okay. <laughs> now, at, now, so, fr- now of, those, of that pile of bodies, <laughs> of the 10 or 15 or so that you've thrown out, I, how I, many do you think will stay dead? I think all of them You think dead. all of them will stay I, dead? Okay, and, and, so. and I think to... I think, Pretty much all the Guardians are going to survive this movie because I think the second movie is going to be more intergalactic in scope. I think, mm-hmm. whereas this one will probably be more Earth grounded. Yeah. Um, but I think if they if they wanted to even go there, I think they they could probably get away with losing even one of the Guardians. You know, to set up conflicts in future movies. Gamora. And stuff. I was thinking Drax. Yeah, I guess he he's the most expendable quote unquote. Well, he, well, he's, he's expendable, but, but he's also a very sentimental character too. Mm-hmm. I, I think even arguably more than Gamora and. Um, but Gamora has the Thanos connection, though. She does. That's why, so, that's why I don't think she's going to die in this one. Not in this one. Okay. No, but Maybe, I I, yeah. I think that if they wanted to really put a you know, if they wanted to go like the death by a thousand cuts, cuts yeah. um, route, they would probably take Drax out because he's 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 a very he's a, a large presence in the movies but he's yeah. also not one of the main presences so yeah he's somebody who is a welcome mm-hmm. addition but he's not carrying the team the way that the Quill is, Quill is or, or, yeah. or Gamora yeah. yeah so I think that's where they might go with that if they mm. take one of the Guardians out okay because Nebula I mean Karen Gillan's mm. character yeah. who is her sister, sister yeah. kind of seems like maybe she's turning a corner and it maybe could be setting herself up to sacrifice herself mm-hmm. to save somebody in the short term, mm-hmm. which could be. I mean, she's not one of the guardians of the galaxy, but she could also be uh, a pretty. I mean, that relationship in that movie, it's very complicated. It's. I mean, it's. I, th- I think it, it. It's. It's a little bit deeper than maybe we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think with Nebula and Gamora, that relationship, I think Nebula has a chance to. Uh, probably uh hit the floor let the, the bodies let the, the bodies at the yeah. floor yeah i am okay. i am but going back on my stark comment though, okay where i think we gotta I, wrap I, it up too uh, yeah i think i think he's gonna through this but i think if he didn't they could finally cash out one of the most annoying things that's ever happened in the mcu for me which is his faux death at the end of avengers where he was supposed to you know get oh, back, fly into the yeah, sky he, where he was supposed to sacrifice himself and yeah. get past his ego and do something for the team and the the implication that he was dying there, 
I, I found very audience condescending and manipulating, especially for the fact that Iron Man 3 had already been announced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so that's always bugged the Practically shit. Ha- halfway done filming. <laughs> Whedon, if you're out there, that always bugged the shit out of me. And the Russo brothers have a chance to really cash in and let Stark go out on something self-sacrificial to really bring his character 360. Oh, here's somebody we know will die. Probably Vision. Because he's got the Infinity Stone in his head. You can probably put that... Oh, good riddance. They gotta, they, gotta, they gotta pull the Infinity Stone out of his head to get it. So there we go. We know if, you, if you're a betting person, if the, odds are, if the odds are up, put your money, all your money on Vision. I would say 2020, right? I'd say so. Um, well, this has been fun. This has been good. I think we really, uh, I think we hit the nail on the head. I think we really, uh, yeah, I think we got delve our, deep. I think we rolled our sleeves up and got our hands dirty. I think we did. Around. But Marvel, we were upset with you last time. A little more optimistic this time around. You did around. good this time around. You did better. Yeah. And I like to think it's because you listened to us. I think so, too. I think we could put all the success of Phase 3 MCU <laughs> yeah. on the shoulders of the McShank podcast. <laughs> I mean... I think we just end it right there. <laughs> For this is uh, this is Ryan. Uh, okay, we're we're we're, 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 not, we're not we're not gonna put ourselves on that type of high horse. All right, fine. Okay, okay. you're Ryan. I'm Clayton. That was all said in jest. We love you guys. Talk to you next time. Okay, bye.